Okay, again, it's Romans 8, 12 through 17. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. When I traveled to uh, India with Ryan, uh, they had trouble saying Zellner for some reason. So I referred to him as Pastor Zed. And uh, we actually have people still ask us, how's Pastor Zed in, uh, in um, India? Well, uh, good morning. My wife's not here with me. We were at a wedding last night, and uh, she hit the club soda pretty hard. And... Uh, we didn't, we didn't get down here to Orange County till late. It was up in quite a bit uh, di- distance. So uh, great to be with you this morning. Uh, this church has been uh, a great supporter of our ministry over the years, and we're so thankful for that. EGM wouldn't be where it is today were it weren't for the support of this church and people in this church. So thank you for that. And I know Dave and some uh, another family, I know at least from the church, is in Atlanta right now, and I think they're with a ministry that works in Iran and uh, I have a special heart for Iran. I have a, a son-in-law who's Persian, and uh, what a, uh, a troubled country Iran is. And hearing those stories from Venezuela are uh, tear-jerking. So let's pray for Christians in those two countries, especially for boys and girls in those countries, that they could know Christ and the life that he has for them. And then we'll look in Romans 8. So let me pray. Father, we are so thankful for uh, the great love that you have for countries like Venezuela and Iran. Lord, we are thinking this morning, I am especially, about boys and girls there, and they need to know you and have a relationship with you that's life-changing for eternity. So, Lord, I pray that you would stir up your church here and abroad and in those countries to be a force for the gospel. Lord, we pray especially for the persecution that the church faces in Iran, and we pray especially for the difficulties in Venezuela and the effect that it has on children and families. And Lord, I pray that you would rally Christians around the world to be part of your work in those two countries. And we love you, and we're, thank you. we're thankful for your word this morning. We ask that you'd open our hearts and teach us, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So it's been a uh, week of political drama. Uh, I, I have no intentions of saying anything further than that. But it did remind me of my childhood. And uh, I went to Washington, D.C. when I was uh, quite young. and I was an early elementary age student. And I went to the uh, house chamber with my mom and my siblings. My dad was at some kind of convention. I don't really know what it was. I can't remember that. But I do remember going into the house chamber and there was a representative from the state of South Carolina speaking, and uh, I'll date myself. 
he was uh, debating the first bill that the uh, Congress uh, looked at to put cancer warnings on the side of cigarette packages. So that's how old that was. And he stood up. I remember I was maybe seven years old, eight or something, and he stood up and said that the bill wasn't written very well because what if they make round cigarette packages? How do you put it on the side of it? And he sort of said it profoundly, you know. I remember thinking, I'm seven years old, and that's like so dumb. <laughs> like, who's going to make a round cigarette package? And then I noticed there was only like 25 people in the whole House of Representatives, and he was speaking to like 25 people. The place was like totally empty. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but afterwards, we went out in the rotunda uh, in the Capitol building, and if you've ever been in the rotunda, you know, there's statues around it, and you know, when you're seven years old, those guys look like they're 25 feet tall, and the ceiling in the rotunda, and I was a starry-eyed little boy, and I went wandering off, and it was at the end of the day, and uh, they began to close the doors and tell people it was time to leave the rotunda, and I saw my mom and siblings going out the door, so I followed them out the door to discover it wasn't my mother and my siblings, and they closed the doors. And I ended up on the opposite side of the Capitol from my mother and my siblings. And I was a little boy. I can remember, if you've ever been lost, it's why I remember this story so clearly. This uh, Capitol policeman came up to me. He was a black guy. I hadn't spent a lot of time around African Americans. And he came up and took me by the hand and asked me if I was lost. And I said, I am. And I was, you know, probably in tears. And he took me by the hand, and we went through, like, some maze of hallways and doors and all the way through the Capitol building to the correct side where my mom was. She was, of course, worried. She had lost one of her five children. And uh, my brothers and sisters were all upset, and they were all trying to find me. And I remember the policeman finally, you know, I helped him find my mom. He took me over there, and I remember when he put my hand in my mom's hand, and she hugged me. It was so happy she had found her son again. And I never thought at any moment during that that the policeman would not lead me to my mother. I never thought he would lead me somewhere strange. You know, you just trust that a police officer is going to lead you to where you need to be with my family and with my siblings. And that is one of the big points in in, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 14, where Paul talks about a kind of leading But this case, it's the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I want us to look at that uh, carefully this morning. So he begins the paragraph. I'm going to start in verse 14. I know the reading began in 12, but I'm going to start in 14. And Paul says that those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God in the NIV. Uh, Some translations say the sons of God, but it's the Holy Spirit who's doing the leading, And I wanted us just to stop this morning and think about the terms that Paul uses regarding the Holy Spirit. Paul says things like living in us, dwelling in us. We can cause the Holy Spirit to grieve. It says we can walk with the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit will give us songs to sing. I decided to... uh, take note of some passages, and I'm just going to read them quickly. I'll cite them. You can write them down. You won't be able to follow along, I don't think, quick enough. But uh, Romans 8, 9, right before this passage we're studying, says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, 
but in the same realm, are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Romans 8, 11, immediately before this passage, and if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body because of his Spirit who lives in you. 1 Corinthians three sixteen. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? 2 Corinthians 1, 22. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts. Galatians 5.25, a very famous passage. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, right before that. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Ephesians 2.22, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't make him sad, he says. Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And finally, in 2 Timothy 1.14, Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It's passages like the ones I just read that caused the early church to develop the doctrine of the Trinity. And we could talk about, you know, there's a lot of famous names that were involved in that, um, defining the, the doctrine of the Trinity. People like Tertullian, Augustine. But for our simple purposes this morning... The doctrine of the Trinity essentially says God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one. In this phrase, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all ascribed personhood. And herein lies the problem for our church today, described by myself and some others as functional Binitarianism. So we think of God personally as our Father. We can all think of what a Father is. A Father has personhood. Jesus Christ, we think of as His Son. We picture Him walking on the earth, dying, being resurrected. And if you were ever in my grandmother's house, there's a painting of Him. <laughs> and He has personality. And then, as Gordon Fee says, we think of the Holy Spirit as kind of a divine blur. In the book he wrote, in, entitled uh, God's Empowering Presence, Gordon Fee tells this wonderful story about a children's sermon on Pentecost Sunday when the teacher got all the kids up in front, took a little uh, tissue paper and blew on it, and it kind of floated across the room. And the teacher said, the work of the Spirit is evident, but invisible. And a little boy shouted out, I wish he was uninvisible. 
And I believe that's the way most Christians feel. For the Apostle Paul, if you don't remember anything that I say this morning, this is it. The Holy Spirit is the full personal presence of God with every believer. And I consider that to be one of the most radical, crucial teachings in the Bible. That for the Christian, the Holy Spirit is a person, it's the full person of God present with us in every moment of every day, if we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. It's why Paul says things like, you walk with him, you keep in step with him, you can make him sad, and he's living in and with us. All right, well, I've spent 40 years as a Christian, and I have to confess this morning, I'm still trying to figure out what it is I'm telling you this morning. (laughs) How do you practice the personal presence of God in your life? Because I believe that's what Paul's saying. When you practice that, we are led, led by the Spirit of God to be his children. It's how we know that we're a child of God when we experience his personal presence. So let me give you a few preliminary learnings I've had over those 40 years. First one is many of my sinful thoughts and behaviors are undertaken when I don't think about, recognize, or acknowledge the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. The question that you hear asked by uh, spiritual-minded people like, who are you when nobody's watching? Who are you when no one's around? Are not true for a Christian. We're never alone because the personal presence of God is with us in every moment. Let me put it to you this way. I have a few examples. Yesterday at the wedding, I was so excited because my daughter and son-in-law were there. And my granddaughter, she's six weeks old. I know, her name's Ava. Basically, she's, she's, she's the most beautiful child since my grandson was born. <laughs> I was holding her, and when you recognize someone's presence, it affects you. So people would be talking to me, talking in a group, and I would walk up with Ava. And what happens when people see babies? Normally intelligent people. Maybe they have advanced degrees from a university, dentists, doctors, successful business people, mothers, all kinds of people. As soon as the little baby comes up, what do they start doing? Talking weird, <laughs> right? You start, oh, coochie, 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 coochie. People that are brilliant start sounding like they're, you know, kind of kooky. And the reason why? Because there's a baby present, and when somebody's present, it has an effect. Uh, I, took, I went to seminary. I got my Master's of Divinity. I took Hebrew. I remember going into class. Every week, I'd go into Hebrew class. I'd sit down, and we'd all start talking like students do, chit-chat, chit-chat. Everybody's talking like a buzz, you know, zzz, in the room. And then the Hebrew professor would walk in. And two things you knew were going to happen. The class was going to start, and they were going to ask somebody to read. And they'd look at you and call you, you know, Daniel, can you read from? And you're like, oh, no. 
because you had to read the Hebrew, you know, you had to read in Hebrew. So as soon as the professor would walk into the room, everybody would quit talking and nobody would make eye contact with anybody. <laughs> you know, like, no talking, everybody's looking around, down, you know, anything but up there. When somebody's present, it has an effect on how we behave. Does everyone understand that? Paul is saying in this passage that the full presence of God somehow is with each and every one of us all the time. Joe Aldrich came to Mariner's Church. I was a young guy. It was in 1989. It was 30 years ago. I remember it like yesterday. It was awesome. He was such a great preacher. My goodness. He gave a talk, I think it was like Sunday night for some reason. Back then they had some Sunday night thing or something. And he spoke and it was on holiness. And I remember he said, I've never forgotten this. He reminded Christian men and women that when you consider an adulterous relationship, remember that in the secretive dinner somewhere, the Holy Spirit of God is sitting at the table with you. And you think about a hotel tryst, the full presence of God is there with you. You're not alone with some other person. You're with them in the full presence of God. And then he said, I know I would never think about getting into bed with another woman if my wife was there. Paul is telling us that when you sit down in front of a computer, when you're preparing tax documents, when you are alone at home and your husband's traveling and you feel lonely, you are not by yourself, if you are a Christian, ever. The Holy Spirit of God is with you always. And if we can practice that and live that way, it is life-changing. It's my first thought for us this morning. If you don't remember anything else I've said, the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence with us every moment of every day. Okay, Dennis, a quick digression. The reason this is a problem in the church is because we have two wings in the church. One of them has turned life with the Holy Spirit into a miracle show. Got to have healing. If you say, uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit, it means miracles, healings, prophecy, uh, all kinds of miraculous activity is what the Holy Spirit life is about. And that's that wing. Then over here, we have a bunch of people who look at that and are freaked out by that. So they get over here and get their doctrines all together about the Holy Spirit. So we got all the doctrines together. You can find books about the Holy Spirit is the counselor, and they get the doctrines about it. In both cases, what you end up with is the functional binitarianism. He's a person. He's the full personhood of God. Grab hold of that. Try to practice that in your life, and it will change your life. All right, well, he goes on in verse 15, and he says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. So there's been a lot of talk the last 25 years about trying to understand Paul 
in the first century and how Paul would have thought about his own writing and what he really meant being a first century Jew. And when you think about slavery and you think about a Jewish person in the first century, clearly, even to this day, that harkens back to periods of time when the Israelites were in slavery, particularly in Egypt. And when you start talking about being led out by the Holy Spirit and you start talking about slavery, I believe it is a clear reference in Paul's mind to the Exodus. And he's talking about the Spirit of God leading us out into being children of God, living in freedom. And he says, don't go back to the life of fear and slavery. In Egypt, if you recall, God worked miraculously to free them from oppression and slavery. There was a power that had control over God's people, and he worked miracle after miracle until at the very end, the plague came on the firstborn of of Egypt, and if the Israelites took the blood of the Passover lamb and put it over their door, they were spared that judgment, and that was what led to their final liberation, and God led them out of Egypt into their inheritance, to the promised land. And then you read, no sooner, I just got through reading this in my Bible reading, my annual Bible reading, they get to the shores of the Red Sea, they they haven't even got started hardly, Exodus 14, 10 through 12. I believe this is what Paul's talking about. As the Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there are no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. After all the miracles, after leading them out into freedom, what do they want? They want to go back to slavery. And Paul tells the Roman Christians... Once you're led out by the Holy Spirit, he is not leading you back to slavery and fear. He's leading us to be children of God, to live in freedom, and to live with his personal presence every day. Well, for the Roman Christians, they were being told, the men, you had to circumcise yourself. Uh, They were being commanded, all the men and women who were Gentiles had to observe the food laws, Sabbath regulations. And for Paul, ironically, doing that for him was to to deny the cross of Christ, deny the leading of the Holy Spirit, and take yourselves back to slavery and fear. And for Christians today, we could be tempted by the trappings of the old life the fame, the fortune, the money, the temporal pleasures, and the lure of the world. And this is a life of slavery and fear. The Spirit of God does not come to us 
to lead us back into that kind of slavery and fear. He wants us to be his children and live in freedom with his presence every day. Some years ago, we uh, started work in Mexico, and whenever we would start working in a new country, I would go get a couple of history books and read about it, because, you know, you want to know about the history, if you understand the culture, and how you can do ministry there. And when we started working in Mexico, I read a book entitled Mexico of Land of Volcanoes, and it was actually written in Spanish by a Mexican and got translated into English. And I remember reading when Cortez, Hernan Cortez, was a conquistador, he came to Mexico from Cuba. And he had an army of conquistadors, and they had been living, and they had come to, from Castile, Spain to Cuba and set up their base there, and then they invaded Mexico. And uh, when they left Cuba to sail across the Gulf there to uh, Mexico, there was a group of men among his uh, force that were loyal to the governor of Cuba, weren't real wild about taking on the Aztec Empire. So when they got their ships into the, uh, I think it was the Gulf of Yucatan, and they disembarked from the ships and got onto the shore, Cortez ordered the boats to be burnt so that there would be no uh, turning back, there would be no thoughts of mutiny or going back to some other loyalties. They would have to move forward and do what they had committed to do. And for Paul, when we're led by the Holy Spirit into a new life of freedom, there's no turning back to the old life of fear and slavery. You've got to burn the boats. And then finally, this is probably why Dave asked me to preach out of this passage, is he says uh, in verse 17, I'm sorry, in verse uh, 15, that the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. It's one of the times that Paul uses this term adoption in the Bible. And those of you who know me know that I have a son who's adopted. He's currently serving in the U.S. Army at Fort Irwin. He's 26 years old. And we adopted him when he was just a few days old. Well, we got him when he was a few days old in Poland. And uh, so when you think about adoption in the New Testament, uh, Paul says here that there's three things that flow out of that. And I want us to look at those, and then we'll finish up. The first one is, he says that if you're adopted as a child of God, then you can speak about your Abba Father, he says in verse 15. We cry out, Abba Father. Now, I know most or all of you have heard teaching about the beautiful intimacy of the term Abba Father, so I'm not going to dwell on that. Um, It clearly has beautiful, intimate overtones of how we can relate to God because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life and because of our adoption. But I do want us to think about some qualities of fatherhood that are merited here. And, you know, when I think about uh, children in Venezuela or here in our own communities that are living in homes with no fathers, um, I think about how crucial this teaching is, and that it not be just some ideas, but be a reality for boys and girls. That you may not have a father in your home, but you have a father in heaven who loves you, and he can be personally present with you when the Holy Spirit indwells a child. 
So a few qualities of fatherhood I thought we could remind ourselves about this morning are as fathers provide for us. Another great quality of a father is fathers teach us, right? A good dad teaches us things. A father is somebody we can always call on. I can call on my dad today. He's 92 years old, but I can still call on him for help, guidance, counsel. A father will protect his children, and a father will celebrate with their children. Paul says that when we're adopted as children of God, we have that kind of relationship with our Father in heaven Then he says in verse 17, if we are children, then we are heirs. He uses the term heirs three times here. Heirs of God, we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. This is amazing teaching right here. We get to do a whole sermon on this. The inheritance that a Jewish person thought about then and still does today is the land. It's to go to the land that God promised. That's what the Spirit was leading them out to from Egypt, was to the land. For Paul, he now says that as a child of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we have an inheritance that's much bigger than that. It's the inheritance that Christ receives, which is dominion and reign over all the earth. And somehow, Paul is telling us that when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're filled with the Spirit of God, the presence of God, that our inheritance becomes the creation. He's going to give it back to us the way it's intended, with Christ. I wrote here, suffice, we don't have time to study the New Testament, but suffice it to say, we stand to inherit a very large portfolio of assets. I know some of you folks are in that industry. You know, that's what that's about. It's amazing teaching, really. And then he says that because of the indwelling of the Spirit, we're adopted by God, and we become his child. When the Spirit of God indwells us in the personal presence The fullness of God is in us. We're adopted and become his child. Uh, Two implications in the Roman world, and then I'll tell you my son's story. Uh, The first one is, when you're adopted in the Roman world in that day, all of your previous debts or obligations you may have, financially in particular, are voided. So if I had debt or legal problems and someone adopted me, those would be canceled immediately. And then second, if you were adopted, it meant you obtained the full legal standing as a child of the father and would be a co-heir of all of the father's assets in the Roman world. And I believe that's exactly what Paul is teaching here that all of our previous debts and obligations are voided in Christ, and we now have full standing as a child of God and an heir, me with you, you with me, and us with Jesus Christ himself, Paul teaches. 
Uh, on April 9th in 19, get the date right here, 93, uh, Caleb was born in Poland, and a few days later we got a call uh, were we interested in adopting a child still? And we had kind of given up on that because he told us you had to adopt a whole family if you did that, and we couldn't do that. And Brittany was five years old, and so this was a baby in a hospital that needed a family, and, and uh, they said, are you interested in this baby? And I said, sure. And they said, okay, I'll get back to you. Hung up. I didn't even know, I didn't even know it was a boy or a girl or anything. <laughs> uh, they called back a bit later and uh, said that the hospital was looking for a family. One thing led to another, and when he was uh, about 10 days old, we brought him home from the hospital. The hospital didn't want him to go into an orphanage, and the mom had a 13-month-old already, and she couldn't keep Caleb. And we still have contact with her to this day. And uh, so a whole year almost went by that's a whole story. Uh, Marlon and I should write a book someday. It's a really amazing story. And uh, in March of 1994... The adoption was finally uh, finalized at the end of February, and we got the adoption decree from the Polish government from the courts in March of 1994, about 11 months later. We had Caleb's original birth certificate from the mom. And on the birth certificate, she had asked, what do you want to name him? So we said we want to name him uh, Daniel Caleb Watts, because Caleb isn't a Polish name. So we made that his middle name. So his legal name was Daniel Caleb Pshepiorka. That was her last name. Daniel Caleb Pshepiorka. It said his mother was um, Malgojata Pshepiorka, and the father line said nothing, just a black line. And it was dated April 9th, 1993, his birth certificate, of course. So in March, I had the adoption from the courts, and the court, the judge told us to take the adoption to the, civil, the, the Social Security office, and take the old birth certificate and just give it to them, and they'll process everything. So I remember going, I can remember it like yesterday. <laughs> just one moment. <laughs> I went to the uh, Social Security office, I handed them the, the adoption decree and the old, uh, the old uh, birth certificate. And uh, she disappeared for a while, came back in about 15 minutes, and uh, she handed me something, some new paper, a third document, said, can you make sure this is all correct? And uh, it said, on April 9th, 1993, and this was March of 1994, everybody tracking with me? 11 months later. And on April 9th, 1993, uh, he was born Daniel Caleb Watts. His mother was Marla Denise Watts, and his father was Daniel Christopher Watts. He handed me the, uh, the birth certificate and said, is that all correct? I said, it was. Then they handed me the old one, and she said, I'll never forget this in Polish. She said that as far as we're concerned, this adoption, this uh, birth certificate is meaningless. As far as the Polish government's concerned, the day he was born, he was your son. Uh, this is exactly what Paul means in this passage. When you confess Christ as Lord and Savior, you are filled with the personal presence of God in the form of the Holy Spirit. He's with us right now. He's here somehow with me right now as I'm speaking. I share the thought of that little boy, please be uninvisible. <laughs> but he's here with us now personally. 
And he has made us. Because of that, we know we're the adopted child of God. And whatever you may have done before is not on God's mind any longer. As far as he's concerned, we were his children from the beginning. And we will be for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for adopting us to be your children and to have an inheritance that's so awesome in the future and that we can live today, walk with you, and experience your personal presence with us. God, we confess we don't exactly know how that works, but we want to practice that. We want to experience you walking with us in each moment of every day. Give us your thoughts. Help us to think your thoughts. Do things your way. Submit ourselves to you in a relationship, a personal relationship with you. And Lord, we are so thankful that we are your children and you are our good Father. And we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.